Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio. It's Friday, March 18th, 2016. This is episode 406. My name is Radio Joe Hughes. Here with me in the studio, Studio D that is, in Central City, Pennsylvania, is our engineer, John. You gotta have faith. And joining me from Studio C in McKee's Rocks is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. Hi, Joe. Hi, John. Hi, guests. Hi, everybody. Good day, Cliff. This week, we're going to have Greg Long and Graham Marsh. Uh, we're going to talk about HVAC maintenance and cleaning in the 21st century. So talk a little bit about processes and products and uh, with one of the real industry veterans, Greg Long. Before we do that, though, let's start by thanking our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IEQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at iaq.net. And Particles Plus. They are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters, air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com. Count on us. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IAQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right, and last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust. We've added some new dates, and we finalized the date for this year's conference. We'll be here at uh, Seven Springs Resort in beautiful southwestern Pennsylvania, October 20 through 22. Hope to see a lot of you there. All right, let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. Win a cool prize by out-competing fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Either email it to cslotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text in the answer via your computer. Congratulations. To Brian Baker, Custom Vac Limited of Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada, for the first correct answer to last week's IQ Radio trivia question. The trivia question for Friday, March 18, 2016, has been sponsored by Ideas LLC, the solution chemistry company who creates unique solutions to odor removal, surface cleaning, and decontamination problems. Now for this week's IQ Radio trivia question. Not all types of bacteria are bad for you. In fact, your body needs a certain amount of bacteria to function properly. Name this bacteria found naturally in the body, usually in the intestines, mouth, or female genitals. It's considered beneficial to human health because this bacteria 
doesn't cause disease. It produces vitamin K as well as lactase, the enzyme that breaks down lactose, the sugars in milk products. This helpful bacteria is also a popular probiotic. A popular source for this bacteria is Greek yogurt. Name that bacteria. Back to you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Cliff. This week, we've got Greg Long. Greg has been involved in the HVAC and cleaning uh, cleaning and restoration industry since 1973. He is also a past president of the National Air Duct Cleaners Association. He is a past and now a current, again, board member of the Indoor Air Quality Association, a licensed HVAC contractor in Texas, and he holds several certifications, including the CIEC from the American Council for Accredited Certification and the ASCS from NADCA. And uh, along with Greg is Graham Marsh. Graham is the president of Clean and Green HVAC. He was born and educated in Australia. He's worked and lived in Australia and Hong Kong, I believe that is, Japan, London, and various locations in the United States, developing cross-border business relationships and transactions. After nearly 20 years working for several international investment banks, Graham set up his own consulting firm called Future Business Concepts to focus on developing strategic business alliances between companies in new and emerging technologies. Around 2009, he expanded his interests and started working with parties involved in water restoration and indoor air quality. And, um, you know, that, that work kind of led to the development of the new company we're going to talk a little bit about here today, and that's the Clean and Green HVAC. We've got some music for our guests. Bacteria, you are my friend. That's a classic there, I'll tell you. Bacteria, you are my friend. All right, let's see if we've got Greg and Graham. (laughs) Gentlemen, do we have you on the line? Yes, we do. Great. Great to have you. Thanks for joining us, Greg. I was looking back in the archives. 2007 was the last time we chatted on the radio here and uh i I, you know i've been remiss i I should have gotten you back much sooner um what what's what have you been up to lately here in in the uh hvac cleaning world you you've got a company called iaq consulting services but i know you still do hvac cleaning tell us a little bit about what you've been up to yeah, Joe, thanks. Uh, it, it has been a long time, and, and it doesn't seem like it's been that long, but it has. Uh, basically, what I'm involved in now, well, actually, there's several things. Um do a lot of consulting. Uh, I help clients uh, put together large projects, manage projects. I do a lot of uh, uh, HVAC inspections for attorneys. Um, I do HVAC inspections for litigation. I do HVAC inspections for new construction, primarily the healthcare, and you know a lot of different things like that. And of course, I'm also involved in Clean and Green HVAC, which is really, you know, after so many years in the business, uh, when you find something new that's really exciting, uh, it, it's really got got me pumped up again because I'm able to uh, be involved in something that's new and cutting edge and uh, can really see some benefits from it. So that's pretty much what I've been doing. All right, let's let's turn over to Graham for a moment. Graham, I 
I did my best to summarize your many years of experience there in the intro, but I think toward the end I started to uh, maybe fade off a little bit. I wonder if maybe we could we could start with 2009 and you can tell folks a little bit about your background and how you got involved with the uh, Clean and Green HVAC. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I uh, had been working on uh, areas of uh, health-related issues, particularly in terms of uh, I got involved with a company that was doing penetrative organosilane-type um, antimicrobial treatments. Um, and that led me into a number of different areas, particularly uh, we found they were useful for corrosion and uh, uh, preventing it. And so what happened was it took me into the oil and gas industry, and then I ended up resulting from that developing an appreciation for the problems with uh, hydrogen sulfide gas in conventional wells, and at the same time with the need to remediate water uh, from the hydraulic fracking wells. And they also had problems there with uh, BTEX, uh, benzene, toiling, xylene, ethyl benzene, um, coming out of the wells. And so all of that ended up taking me into a position where I met... Um, uh, the owner of uh, uh, a probiotic cleaning uh, product company. And uh, in talking with him, I realized that this is a pretty interesting game changer. And when I grew up uh, in Australia, my father's best friend ran carrier air conditioning for Southeast Asia. So, you know, to get rid of me during school holidays, I was started off from sweeping the floor at carrier's facilities down there. And they were back in the days so that actually assembled a lot of the stuff there. And... Um, I had a bit of an appreciation over the, from the years of doing that as to what this might mean for HVAC. And uh, I had an opportunity uh, to meet Greg, um, and uh, we talked about it, and I was like, wow, you know, this makes an awful lot of sense. So that's Clean and Green was formed to bring probiotic cleaning agents into the HVAC um, space for initially coils. Um, we now uh, have got it and so it can do cooling towers. Um, we've got processes and, and products for that. And also uh, the internal cleaning of uh, chilled water loops um, where you know, the unseen aspect of the build-up of biofilm, which is where the probiotics are really super effective. Um, uh, so it's all geared towards thermal transfer improvement, um, uh, operating efficiency and extension of equipment life cycles and the uh, improvement of indoor air quality and occupant comfort. All right. I, I think, well, and to let listeners know, we um, we had also scheduled to have uh, Gary Holmes on, who was the president of Z Bioscience, the manufacturer of the, the probiotic cleaner, but unfortunately he, he fell very ill yesterday, so we weren't able to bring him on. And we're going to talk a little more about the probiotic uh, um, method of cleaning and how that works, but before we do, I'd like to go back to Greg for a moment. And Greg, let's, let's just kind of go over the last 30 years real quick of um, HVAC cleaning. What, what are the biggest changes you've seen over that 30-year period, and, and are we doing a lot better job now of cleaning HVAC systems than, than we did 20 or 30 years ago? Absolutely, Joe. Uh, see, we've seen quite a, quite a huge improvement. In fact, 
when I first got into the industry uh, back at that time, nobody even knew to use compressed air, and we didn't have the tools we have today. So today we've got, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of collection methods. We've got all kinds of electric, electric tools. We've got all kinds of pneumatic tools and so forth. And But several years ago, uh, you know, the industry was pretty much born out of servicing the indoor air quality issues in, in structures, and, and it'll always be part of that. But several years ago, I started seeing that, uh, you know, uh, indoor air quality should be a, a, a side benefit to what we can really do for these facilities, and that's energy um, ener- energy improvement through making sure the systems are clean enough to operate close to uh, what they're designed for. And uh, then, you know, we, we, we've seen the industry start to evolve that way. People are getting more excited about sealing duct systems. There's different methods on the market for sealing duct systems. And uh, now uh, people are paying attention to coils and so forth. And, you know, what we're talking about today is by far the um, – most beneficial thing I've ever seen come to the market in my years in the market to improve thermal um, transfer inside of coils. Hmm. And Cliff, do you want to jump in here or do you want me to continue? Well, no, I do, but I I think I'd really like to go back to to some basics. You know, we've uh, bandied about this word a couple of times. It was in the trivia question and, and so on and so forth, probiotic. You know, what is a probiotic? Uh, well, it's, it's a biology to start with, um, very different to chemistry and physics. So um, it's a bacteria. It's, it's a classification of bacteria. Um, on the whole, uh, the probiotics are seen to be different to what we often call as the pathogen bacteria. Pathogen bacteria are the harmful bacteria. Um, they are the things like MRSA, E. coli, Staph, um, C. diff. These are bacteria that in actual fact create um, health problems and at the same time it's pathogen bacteria that are the source of odors. Um, so in dirty sock syndrome in a coil what you're looking at there is an aggregation of biological contamination that is pathogenic in nature and it gets to a quantum uh, or a, a mass that the bacteria using quorum sensing, which is the technical terms as to how the bacteria communicate with each other, realize that they've got the critical mass and it triggers what we call off-gassing. So on the other side of the coin are the probiotics. These are the healthy, beneficial bacteria. And this is a really critical point to note because we tend to regard all bacteria as bad. And so all the cleaning technologies that we've had for the last 30, 40, 50, even hundreds of years back has been largely around kill everything. And nature abhors a vacuum. (laughs) And what we need is balance. And so when you get an issue sort of like off-gassing to dirty sock syndrome in a coil, it means that there's a lack of balance in the bacterial environment 
And so probiotics are nature's way of addressing and maintaining a healthy environment in the presence also of pathogens. Um, and it usually does this through a, a process known as competitive exclusion, and that is where the probiotics will out-consume a food source or regulate the availability of the food source such that the pathogens cannot get to a critical mass that they can be harmful. I'm, I'm wondering now if, if maybe dividing between probiotic and pathogen as, you know, to, to discuss these things, sometimes we have to simplify. But as I understand it, all bacteria have, they're beneficial. Um, it's just that maybe if they're in the wrong place, they're a problem. So, you know, staff might be just fine and, and it has useful purposes as well as can be a problem if it's in the wrong place. Is that is that accurate to say? Um, pathogens are really the source of infection. It comes down as to do they get to such a critical point, a mass, a volume uh, in a particular area that it can exploit a sensitivity or a weakness in that environment so that they end up dominating and therefore creating um, problems and um, uh, non-beneficial. Um, the probiotics are the beneficial bacteria that keep the pathogens in check and keep us healthy. I mean, I think that the best reference to this is really quite interesting. Professor Jessica Green from the University of Oregon did an three excellent TED Talks. And her area of expertise is really about the health of the microbiome of buildings. And her question was, do we filter out the wrong bacteria? What are we trying to do in mechanically ventilated buildings? And her research showed that inside a mechanically ventilated building, you know, there's a much higher percentage of pathogen bacteria and a much lower diversity of overall bacteria across the spectrum. And so in one of the talks, she says, you know, we all know that there's a phrase, you're as healthy as your gut. And to make our gut healthier these days, to counter the issues of, you know, modern food production, now, we're told we should eat probiotics and we eat yogurt. And so she said, what we really need is yogurt for a building. And what we're doing is it's sort of like the yogurt for cleaning coils. And it has not just the benefit of actually keeping the coils healthy, but the probiotics will consume the pathogenic biofilm that forms on the coils. And it's the biofilm that is the greatest impediment to thermal transfer. And so therefore, coming to Greg's point, this is where the energy savings come from. And the more that you can, in actual fact, help the thermal transfer, the more you can, you know, alter uh, set points so that, in actual fact, you're not using as much energy. You take the pressure off the compressors, and it moves through and, and sort of a, a virtuous cycle. So, I guess rather than focus on pathogen versus good bacteria, I guess maybe what I should be thinking is we don't want any bacteria forming a biofilm on that coil. I mean, that's, that's not good. Is, is that accurate to say from, from your work, gentlemen? That's true, Joe. This is Greg. Um, it was probably in the early 90s 
that we personally, I started recognizing that biofilm was a issue inside of coils. And one of the things that led to that uh, awakening was we started seeing cases of dirty sock syndrome pop up. Well, we'd go into these places and clean and clean and clean the coils and inundate the coils with a quat and so forth. And in some of the cases, it was successful, but a lot of the cases, within days or weeks, the dirty sock syndrome would come come back. And uh, then we started noticing that um, we would we had commercial clients that you know had all the energy monitoring systems on their uh air handlers and so forth and they would have us come in and clean their coils and you know we would see the performance increase but within a short few months that performance increase would fall off so you know what was going on inside those coils well so we were fortunate to actually get our hands on some coils and cut them apart and that's when we discovered and you know these things have got biofilm growing inside of them and um, Graham can probably speak to this better than I can, but uh, basically when they're trying to develop biofilm in a lab, they take a sterile piece of metal and they drip water on it. And um, I think they might even call it a drip flow reactor. And a coil is nothing more than a huge, huge drip flow reactor because it usually always have has moisture available to it, and it's always getting... Um, um, impeded with particulate and airborne um, microorganisms. So even though coils can look clean on the outside when you clean them, what's deep inside the coil is this biofilm. And uh, biofilm is um, uh, a huge impediment to heat transfer. Greg, when you tore this coil apart I'm, I'm wondering you say you saw it had biofilm was this a visual observation did you also do some sampling did you maybe take some atp testing how did you confirm no, it was back a biofilm? in those days we didn't have uh we didn't know about atp but you, you could physically see the biofilm okay and and now are you doing more with respect to to testing and verifying the cleanliness of the coils after you do the cleaning we're doing it, obviously you can't cut apart a coil that's in operation, so we're doing it by monitoring the performance of the coil. Okay. So the, the airflow and the temperature, yes. the, the delta yes. T on the, okay. We, we were fortunate to have a, uh, a large commercial building that was managed by one of the largest property managers in the world allow us to experiment on their building for about four years. And... Uh, uh, this building was an old building, had old air handlers in it, and the history of the air handlers is they, the coils needed clean at least once a year, if not more frequently, and so forth. So they, they allowed us to experiment in their building, and that's where we started seeing the phenomenal results of the benefits of the, of the uh, um, probiotic coil cleaners. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit about that, Greg. What are the, in the past, what were the, methods and products you would use in this this building or others to clean coils uh historically people use a usually a high ph coil cleaner um um most coil cleaners that a lot of the people are using are a high ph coil cleaner uh 
even up to a pH of 14. Um, I took a popular coil cleaner that a lot of people use. I was at a client's and they showed me what it was, and it's a popular coil cleaner. Uh, concentrate form was 14 pH, so we had some litmus paper with us, and we tested it, and sure enough, it was a 14 pH. So um, I said, okay, let's dilute it in accordance to the manufacturer's label. And the manufacturer's label said to dilute it 5 to 1. So we diluted it 5 to 1 and checked the pH again, and it read 13 and a half. So even diluted according to the manufacturer's label, we still had a very caustic and damaging coal cleaner and these coal cleaners actually in reality when they're a high ph range uh or a low ph range most people don't use acids now they use a high ph coal cleaner actually strip away part of the aluminum and in doing so they leave pits and valleys in these aluminum fins and these pits and valleys prevent the coal from draining properly and uh, it allows moisture to hold in those pits and valleys, and then that moisture collects um, particulate and microorganisms and regenerates the biofilm inside the coils rather rapidly. Another thing that we have witnessed is um, biofilm actually creates um, microbial corroding inside these coils. I had the... uh, um, luxury of taking a all copper coil uh copper fins copper tubes 10 pass coil and cut it apart and we were able to see holes underneath the biofilm in the copper fins that the corroding within from the microbial corroding in that um, coil had caused Hmm. and you you say 10 pass did i understand that right that's correct. And what do you mean by, for listeners, what's a 10 pass? Uh, 10 rows of tubes inside. 10 rows of tubes. Okay. And these are the most difficult to clean. Those that are, you know, more than a couple of rows of coils, it starts to get very difficult to get all that out. What are some of the other methods? There's like, I know, low, you know, low pressure flushing with just water. And then I guess we could use a, you know, a surfactant, some kind of soap and water. Or or um, I guess some people also use a higher pressure and hot water and and i've heard of steam cleaning can you kind of go over the difference between those for us sure um low pressure water or cold water at high pressure or low pressure uh if done in a proper procedure and proper uh, manner can remove loose particulate out of the coil but it does nothing to address the biofilm that's actually stuck inside the coil um a lot of people use high-pressure hot water, and high-pressure hot water is usually delivered around, oh, the 160, 180-degree range, and it also can flush loose particulate out of the coil, but it's, it's, it's not going to address the biofilm. The um, high-pH coil cleaners, and even if you treat the coil with a uh, quat-type agent, is not going to take all the uh, biofilm out of the coil because they've scientifically proven that biofilm will develop itself in a manner that it, you know, it, it inherently tries to protect itself. And you're going to get a certain degree of it to come out, but it, not all of it's going to come out. And then it, it goes back into a rapid regrowth. 
And what about steam cleaning, Greg? I, I keep hearing recently. Steam cleaning. Here. Steam cleaning I, I started experimenting with steam cleaning back in the mid-90s, and I was able to get really good results with steam cleaning in the, the manner of flushing the coil because I, I came up with a method that is steam with volume and pressure. Uh, just plain steam does not deliver the amount of volume and pressure that's needed to flush the coil. So um, I, uh, I found a method where we combine the temperature up, you know, 260 to 300 degrees combined with pressure and volume to help flush the coil. One of the main problems, Joe, is the majority of the people out there cleaning coils don't have the uh, don't don't understand the proper method for cleaning coils. There is a proper method for cleaning coils that increases your uh, chances of success. Most people will go into the coil. They'll spray the coil with a coil cleaner. They'll stand on the um, input side of the coil and they'll start cleaning the coil from the top bottom just because that's the natural easy way to do it. And what they're doing when they're doing that, they're, ha uh, they're helping to impact that coil. They're flushing all the material down to the bottom of the coil, and they're not properly getting it flushed out the bottom, and it just starts stacking up. And they're the, most of the coils we run across that are impacted, when you start talking to the people that have been maintaining those coils, they've been improperly cleaned. So the right way would be to start from the, uh, where the air exits? And, and yeah, the uh, bottom right up. is to start from the side where uh, the leaving side of the coil, and you start at the very bottom, and you flush out an area all the way across that bottom that uh, is totally free, and you flush it from the um, uh, leaving side of the coil, then go around to the entering side of the coil, and you flush it until you have an area that's completely free. Then you go back to the uh, uh, leaving side of the coil and you start working your way up and the purpose of that is um, you're moving the particulate in the uh, shortest distance to exit the coil but as the particulate is running down there's a clear area at the bottom for it to run out and flush out instead of stacking on top of itself and then uh, when you look at coils if you took a cross section of coils and looked at them and saw how the tubes are laid out inside the coils. Um, if you shoot uh, water or anything directly into the coils, it's just bouncing off of more tubes. There is an angled uh, channel inside of coils where you can flush at an angle and get the particulate out and have less restriction of your of your water bouncing back at you off of tubes. So you know it's a multifaceted approach and it takes time to clean a coil right uh, because you know we're not trying to get just make them look pretty we're trying to get them clean you know i'm glad i asked that greg because you described it very well and it takes me back many years when i first learned about coil cleaning with tommy yakabellis and and that's why i wanted you to describe that process because i, I think it's very important that people you know, we get people who maintain buildings, we get people who do this type of work, so I think it's important that we start with the basics and how we have been doing things over the years, 
And in the second half, I'd like to go into a little bit more on the probiotic aspect of things. But we've been going along so quickly and well here that it's time for halftime. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop for 90 seconds. We've got to pay some bills and thank our sponsors. We wouldn't be here without them. We'll be back in 90 seconds with the second half of our show with Greg Long and Graham Marsh. And thanks to our association sponsors, the Indoor Air Quality Association, a nonprofit multidisciplinary organization dedicated to promoting the exchange of indoor environmental information through education and research. Visit them at iaqa.org. The Restoration and Specialty Cleaners Association have been serving the needs of and advocating for their members for over 30 years. Remember, Triska is your link to industry training, certification, standards, and events. Their website is trsca.org. Thanks to our advertisers. Gray Wolf Sensing Solutions, who use advanced sensor technology and embedded computers to provide superior environmental test instrumentation. Visit them at wolfsense.com. Legends Environmental Insurance Services, the experts in insurance for environmental consultants and contractors for over 20 years. Visit them at legends-enviro.com and, of course, our marquee sponsors. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop. Visit them at their website, jondon.com. That's jondon.com. Clean Facts, the number one information source for cleaning and restoration professionals. Check them out at cleanfactswithanx.com. IAQ.net and Healthy Indoors Magazine, a free online digital magazine for industry professionals and consumers. Subscriptions are available at IAQ.net. And Particles Plus. They are engineers and manufacturers of feature-rich particle counters air quality monitoring instrumentation, and vacuum pump technology. Particlesplus.com. Count on us. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. Okay, we're back for the second half of our interview. We've got Greg Long and uh, of IAQ Consulting, Inc., and also Graham Marsh of Green and Clean HVAC. Cliff, I want to turn it over to you for the start of the second half. Thanks, Joe. Um, I guess this is probably more geared towards Graham. Graham, use of antimicrobials is supposedly causing the rise of superbugs. You know, what assurance do your customers and their clients have that the microbes contained in your products are susceptible to destruction by antimicrobials and won't in themselves become superbugs? Um, Good question. Um, So let's go back to uh, the point I made earlier in the sense that um, most antimicrobial cleaners in fact, all of them are geared to killing everything. There's um, no uh, ability to discern between good and uh, beneficial bacteria and you know bad, harmful bacteria. So it's been a matter of using a combination of physics, cleaning, wiping, sweeping, vacuuming, um, and chemistry. And that's usually in the form of bleaches, quats, um, caustic type cleaners uh, that Greg was mentioning when we use them with the coils, um, oxidizers. Um, 
And the result of it is that um, we're actually using a physics and chemistry uh, solution and have done for centuries, really, to address what is really a biological problem. And that biological problem is the uh, ability of the pathogens to get to a critical mass where they are truly harmful. Now, we've seen with antibiotics how excessive use of them has resulted in um, a contribution to the development of what we call superbugs, MRSA, CRE, VRE, you know, being three classic examples. And the ongoing um, resistance uh, um, to uh, antibiotics of... uh, new species of uh, C. diff, which is, of course, now regarded as one of the biggest national health problems. The thing is that we're seeing a similar trend and not a lot of attention has been paid to it in the broad commercial cleaning products. We're now on to fifth and sixth generation quads, which means that we're actually refining them and strengthening them to deal with an ever-increasing problem. Microbiology 101, as was explained to me by the most recent former head of waterborne pathogen research for the EPA, is that no matter how big the chemical hammer we use, the bacteria or microbes will always adapt. And as we're going to stronger and stronger cleaning chemistries to address the increasing resilience and for other terms, resistance of the bacteria that we're trying to address, it's very clear that we're seeing a similar trend um, in the resistance of pathogen bacteria to some of the cleaning chemistries that we've been using. And we can't seem to really increase those chemistries much more because I think we've all heard about the problems of chemical sensitivity Amongst the population, more and more people um, are saying, you know, I'm allergic or that gives me problems. Um, it was one of the driving forces behind the move towards green cleaning. Um, and, you know, as a result, uh, these, some of these uh, cleaners that we're doing as they get stronger, in some instances, can actually also be potentially harmful to some of the surfaces to which they're applied. So I don't think we can go much further with a pure physics and chemistry solution in a public health sense to um, address this ongoing adaptation of the bacteria, uh, of the pathogen bacteria. So the idea of the probiotics is that because they are beneficial, if you can overpopulate a surface with the probiotic bacteria, it will, they will outconsume the food source and the pathogen bacteria effectively starve to death. Now, that's a very good way to rid uh, an area or a surface of a potentially or actually harmful uh, bacteria because no living entity has been able to mutate to survive starvation. So this is a biological approach to what is really a biological problem and it solves it in a manner that doesn't risk ongoing mutation 
to stronger and stronger pathogens. Now, to the other part of your question, Cliff, the probiotic bacteria are self-regulating in the sense that once the food source is exhausted, um, they effectively uh, die off on their own accord. Um, and that's, that's one of the reasons why uh, they, uh, the probiotic bacteria that are in probiotic cleaners uh, you have uh, what they call generally regarded as safe classifications um, or GRAS. So it's a natural approach to dealing with this as opposed to, uh, to, to, the, to dealing with pathogens and the health risks of it. Um, they're non-harmful to the surface. They're produced and, and delivered in pH neutral um, uh, uh, liquids um, or surfactants. And uh, that brings down to a point that, you know, sort of Greg was pointing out, uh, you know, some of these conventional cleaners that we use in the HVAC industry, particularly on the, uh, the coils, are very caustic um, and very high pH. And that can actually also be harmful and dangerous to the people applying them. Um, we've heard uh, from a number of contractors that, you know, Greg's uh, been in contact with us over the years that, yeah, workers' comp claims from people that have been harmed by um, these high caustic, high pH caustic cleaners. So when you're using the probiotics, it's also safer to, for the equipment, it's safer for the people applying it, and it's the most effective means at getting rid of the biofilm because the probiotics will effectively eat it. So if, if a listener was to see... You know, paint a picture for us, either one, Greg or Graham. How does the product come? Is it is it mixed in a liquid? Is it in a in a powder form? How does it come, and how is it applied? I'll let Graham answer that. <laughs> I was about to say that to you, Greg. Um, <laughs> I can do it, but go ahead. It, it comes in it comes in um, a uh, super concentrate form. Um, it's uh, that concentrate form is pH neutral. Um, the cleaning agents uh, we recommend should be diluted uh, 1 to 10. Um, and then they are applied to the coil. Now, every coil is different. I mean, both in size, some of the problems, DX versus chilled water. Um, there can be all kinds of different issues. But, but what we usually recommend is that you apply the coil cleaner as a pre-treatment um, and because it's pH neutral you can leave it um, on the coil. I mean we've got contractors who now have worked out that they can go in and pre-treat the coil on the Friday night and then turn up on the Saturday and uh, by that stage the probiotics so they have continued to work uh, at breaking down the biofilm and when they go and then hit it with, with whatever cleaning method they're using, be it steam or pressurized water um, uh, or others, um, it's the uh, contaminants fly off the, uh, the coils really quickly, and it's saving them time and money uh, in terms of being on site, as well as getting a better job. And so you can uh, apply it uh, to the coils. Uh, some people use a pressurized uh, airless spray gun uh, approach. Some people foam it onto the coil. Um, 
it really depends on, you know, sort of uh, what uh, the type of coil it is, how many rows, um, how bad the contamination, how much brute force is going to be needed to remove physical contamination that's blocking the airflow. The, the product itself comes in a liquid form uh, as a concentrate that's to be diluted 1 to 10. And Greg, how are you recommending, what process are you recommending now? Are you having them put the product on before or, you know, sit overnight or, and then are you using a high pressure washer uh, or, um, uh, you know, using steam? What, what are you recommending as far as the process for using this product? It all depends. Like Graham said, uh, Joe, it all depends on the situation. Uh, I had a series of coils here recently that I did that were only four pass, uh, there wasn't anything available other than a pressure trigger on a water hose. So I would I applied the coil cleaner and let it sit there for several hours and then go back and rinse with the just the pressure out of a pressurized nozzle on a water hose and uh the results were absolutely tremendous. And uh through my experience um, working with the product, I've, I've learned that, you know, the longer it resides in the coil, the quicker the coil cleans. But, uh, you know, if you've got a, uh, a, a really thick, really dirty coil, then, you know, I use the, um, pressurized steam. Uh, you can use, um, the reason I use that is I found that that cleans quicker. You can use pressurized cold water. Uh, you can use any method. It's just, the amount of time spent on the job doing the job. Now, one of the things that we do have available, and obviously if you're going to clean a coil with um, very high temperature water or steam or pressurized steam, as you're cleaning at those temperatures, you're going to be killing the probiotics. So we've got a product that we call the after treatment for the coils, that once the coil is clean and so forth, we go in, it's basically just raw probiotics without any surfactants or emulsifiers or anything in it. Um, it just, and then we just respray the coil after it's clean with the after spray to reintroduce the live probiotics in the coil and let them sit there and continue to work. Cliff? Okay, let's talk about these coils. Uh, you answered one of my questions, which was the effect of this high temperature water. Um, on uh, you know the, the microorganisms that it, that it would likely kill them. Uh, you know if you're putting the product on the night before and these coils are in operation, water is going to be dripping off the coils, and it would seem to me that you know whatever you're putting on there, if that coil is in operation, um, you know during cooling season, uh, isn't it going to run off? Uh, a certain amount of it will. Uh, cliff, but a, a certain amount of it will stay. So what we always do is when we come back after we've allowed it to dwell in the coil for overnight or a few hours or whatever it may be, depending upon the circumstance, uh, we'll uh, respray the coil again and let it sit there for a few minutes and then start to clean. But yeah, you're right. Uh, if if it's in a real hot, humid climate and the coil is uh, um, condensating, pr- pr- creating a lot of condensation, a certain amount will run off, but that just goes down into the drain pan and helps clean the drain pan. So, uh, but a certain amount of it does stay and reside in the coil. 
And if the coil is real dirty and has a lot of biofilm in it, that that, that in itself is going to hold a lot of the product in there for a uh, a long time. Fair enough. Let's go to the roundup. Move them on, hit them up, hit them up. Move them on, move them on, hit them up, raw high. Cut them out, ride them in, ride them in, let them out, cut them out, ride them in, raw. Okay, we've got about 10 minutes, and I think we can probably get two questions each in here, uh, Cliff. But one, the one I'd like to ask, Greg, is um, with respect to verification of cleanliness, how do you see in the real world out there now, first of all, I, I think you are the consultant on some of these projects, so that might be, uh, it might be tough for you to tell me how others are doing this, but what are you seeing with respect to verifying cleanliness of both the whole system, you know, the duct work, the blower, everything, and the coils. Okay, Cliff, it's been very interesting to me. You know, I was, I'm still on the standards committee for NADCA, and I uh, was on the very first standards committee that developed the very first test and developed the NADCA vacuum test. And uh, for many, many, many years, we went along and we did not see the NADCA vacuum test used that much in the field. But in the last few years, we've seen a huge increase in the use of that. Um, uh, we're seeing it on a wide spectrum in, in a, a lot of cases. I've, I've seen it brought up more and um, spec more and required more in the last few years than I ever have. And let's just review for listeners the NADCA standard and with respect to verification, the first level, as I understand it, is a visual inspection, which I think we all understand. You've got to pass visual first. Okay. Then the second level would be um, surface comparison. So you would take a uh, contact vacuum and uh, attachment, and then you would vacuum an area uh, side by side. You know, you, you take, a let's say, a 12 by 12 area, vacuum half of it, and then look and see if there's been a change. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 it, and that, that was pretty much uh, developed there. Uh, a lot of times when you have either duckboard duct or internally lined duct, uh, it gets discolored over time sometimes. And there were, and the NACA vacuum test does not work on poor surfaces. So there, there were some disputes out there. Well, that's clean. No, no, it's not. Well, yeah, it is. Well, no, it's not. So then um, I believe it was Tom Yacobellis that came up with the surface comparison test, which turned out to be a very good test, and it's a very solid test. And uh, it's still used a lot today, and I think it will always be used. And then the third level was the NADCA vacuum test, where you take a um, basically a, like an asbestos cassette for air sampling. It's a mixed cellulose ester cassette with a, a pore size, I think it's 0.7 micrometers, and and you have a hundred, what is it, hundred millimeter, hundred centimeters squared? Um, Two hundred, I believe, if I remember right. Yeah. And, and you basically vacuum that area, and then you weigh the amount I'm of. Are you right? It's hundred. Um, and then you weigh the amount of dust, and and there's a level in the in the NADCA standard for what's clean. And you're seeing that more, which is interesting because um, I've always wanted to ask this question, Greg, and maybe you can help me with this. Where is the best place to take that test? on a flat surface okay but if i've got a, a system a ductwork, you know in a commercial building that's been cleaned and i'm trying to verify you know the entire system's clean if i do one 
knack of vacuum test and I do it right inside where somebody removed the diffuser, I mean, am I doing it in the ductwork? Am I going to have them cut an access panel? I'm just, you know, for consultants out there, what's the best way for them to determine where to take that test? Well, as a consultant that does uh, a lot of inspections, I will, you know, I always have a copy of the mechanical prints. And I'll always go to an area that doesn't have a pre-existing access hole and ask for them to cut an access in that location and check it there. And the number of tests depend upon the size of the job. And uh, it also depends upon what was specified into the job. Uh, a lot of jobs we're seeing today, um, they they specify into in the specification how many tests they want taken within the system. So, you know... Uh, there, there's a lot of variables that go into how how many, but uh, yeah, I I like I, I like to inspect in areas that uh, aren't easy to access. Understood, and I'm glad you said that because that was what I was hoping to hear. Now, with respect to today, what additional types of testing are you recommending, if any, to verify the cleanliness of both? the system, the ductwork, but also the coils and the drain pan? Uh, you know, I don't do any microbial testing in Texas because in Texas that requires a special license, and, uh, you know, I, I don't do that. I do the visual test. I can do the NACA vacuum test and so forth. And um, now I work with a uh, uh, environmentalist gentleman here, environmentalist here that does that type of testing when required, and he's taken vacuquant test. Um, he's done some um, um, DNA testing, uh, different types of testing like that. He'll take some tapeless samples. Just depends upon the environment and what what the client is looking for. There are several things that can be done. And are are you using ATP somewhere? Did I see, or was that? I've done so many interviews over the years here, Greg. I start to lose track. But uh, I, thought, I have not used ATP inside of duct systems. Okay. Now, you know, I, I was not really familiar with ATP until um, I became acquainted with uh, Gary and Graham, and I, you know, I'm considering that as a viable method for certain types of testing inside of HVAC systems. And Graham, do you want to comment on that at all? Yeah, um, it, we've found that um, ATP testing on on the coils, uh, the fins, and, and, and the actual tubing uh, on the exterior uh, can be impacted and affected by some sort. You know, some of these uh, units have special anti-corrosive coatings depending on their environment that they're in. Um, uh, there's yeah, so we've not found the ATP to be that accurate. We do find it actually interesting and useful in other parts of the air handling room, maybe on a blower wheel, um, in the drain pan, but it is an indication. I mean, an ATP level, right, is really an indication of the presence or the probability of the presence of a, 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 a biofilm. And so that's what you're really testing for. Um, 
it's much more appropriate for cleaning, uh, testing uh, surfaces in other areas, sort of, you know, like in, the, in a hospital, um, handrails, high touch points, um, uh, bathroom faucets, uh, cafeteria tables, chairs, keyboards, and stuff like that. Restaurants. As an indication, yeah, and the, in restaurants and any any sort of really commercial surface. But we've not found ATP to be, you know, as effective um, in HVAC applications, except on testing the inside of the reservoir of uh, cooling towers. Yeah. Well, I've got a couple follow-up questions really, really with the ATP. Um, yeah, I've been told that it, what ATP does is it tests for uh, ATP, which is in everything that's living. So yeah. both, so if it's in everything that's living, and it's in both good things that are living, and it's in bad things that are living. And it would seem to me that if you inoculate a surface with a bunch of good microbes and you then went, then you sampled for ATP, that there should be a lot of stuff there because you just inoculated it with good stuff and a lot of good stuff so that it could outcompete the bad stuff. So, you know, to me, it's confusing. Yeah, no, and Cliff, that's look. It was for me too, and and we've been asked this question a lot over the years, particularly on the, the commercial um, cleaning side and in the ag side. Um, what we've been able to do is identify, uh, have labs identify that our probiotics give a relative light unit load or RLU load, which is the means of measuring uh, ATP, um, on, say, using something like the Hygiena uh, Shore Plus meter, because each manufacturer has their own calibrated scale um, to try and differentiate themselves. So we based everything around the Hygiena uh, ATP uh, meters. Um, our load is around about anywhere between five to sort of nine uh, on that meter. Um, so that after it's been cleaned, if you get a reading of five to nine, that is the, the RLUs that they've been able to identify um, our uh, probiotics is getting off. And But how do you, I mean, we're, we're saying here that the probiotics are eating the bad bacteria, outcompeting the bad bacteria. Excuse me, and and the bad bacteria are dying off. How are we verifying that? Um, we've had instances where it's been done uh, with culture testing um, uh, independently by various um, uh, uh, end customers in their own labs. So, for instance, um, a major. Um, egg hatch or poultry hatchery operation and, and poultry hatcheries are really you know ideal salmonella factories um, they had their own they were taking culture tests every um, uh, day over a period of a year and a half and measuring the presence of salmonella staph and coliforms um, and then they did the uh, uh, application with our product um, uh, the probiotic cleaners, and what happened was the staff levels and the salmonella levels fell to near undetectable points. Um, there was a constant state of coliforms uh, there 
but they were dramatically reduced as well. I mean, like down, you know, 99%. So um, it's independent uh, testing by end customers who, uh, for their own needs, for the regulatory authorities to be able to demonstrate what levels of bacteria they have in their facilities that they've been able to show, um, then come back to us and say, wow, this is, <laughs> these, we've never had anything do this before. And I want to clarify that Greg did answer earlier that a lot of the testing you do is is more related to the performance of the system as opposed to the, the type of microbes that are remaining on the system. Is that accurate, Greg? In, in a, a HVAC uh, environment, yes, and particularly related to the coils. So I, I've, got another, I've got another question, Charlotte, if, if I may. Um, you know, one of the things that we know from doing disaster restoration and mold remediation is that, um, you know, mold and mildew will grow on surfaces that are damp. So they're going to be surfaces that have, you know, water activity less than, let's say, 0.9 or, or whatever is, is, is where they're going to grow. And bacteria is going to grow at a higher water activity. So essentially, bacteria grows underwater, grows in water. And I'm trying to figure out how the probiotics are going to grow on a surface that's dry, that doesn't have water, because it seems that they need water in order to grow. And, you know, it, you can talk about running out of food, but also if you run out of water, uh, you're not going to be able to survive either. And, Joe, that's a great question, because, yes, I mean, you're, you're absolutely right. But what that does is it limits the life of the probiotics on the surface. Um, when you effectively clean with probiotics, what you're doing is you're repopulating the surface with beneficial healthy bacteria that will outconsume the food source and break down and consume the pathogen biofilm. And they'll remain there as long as there's some viable food source. And once that's used up, then they just, they just die off. That food source, uh, the available protein can be dry or wet. Um, but as long as the probiotics have that food source, they'll stay there. But once it's disappeared, they will uh, themselves uh, self-regulate and they just die off, which is why, you know, um, we find that in, in most instances, it, it makes sense to clean um, using them, you know, uh, in like a, a, an internal aspect of the building, keyboards and stuff like that, you know, at least every couple of days. Um, what the probiotics do is by their presence and by their ability to consume the food source, is that they do inhibit the potential for pathogens to recolonize uh, on a surface and form um, a, a, a pathogenic biofilm. And so there's a longer-lasting level of clean because of that in terms of their ability to prevent such recolonization by the pathogens. Just a quick, so there's a preventative factor. Just a quick example, gentlemen. In the, uh, the, one, the one building we tested in for four years, they had the old coils. Those coils needed frequent cleaning to be able to maintain their performance. So the building um, manager had us rig up a automated spray system where twice a week we would mist probiotics, just the base, basic probiotics, into the coils. 
and then they have a very um, top shelf uh, uh, monitoring system, and they monitored those coils for four years and still don't need to be cleaned because they're staying clean on their own. And and Greg, what do they monitor so that we can you know clarify for listeners when you're monitoring coil performance, what exactly are we monitoring are we looking at you know air movement across the coil etc they're 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 looking at uh air movement they're looking at water uh, entering water temperature leaving water temperature there's several um uh uh, data points that they're looking at and And in some instances there's sort of consequential benefits so that they suddenly realize that they can raise the set point by two or three degrees which is nothing yeah which in itself saves you know for every degree in the set point you can sort of say one and a half to two percent savings in energy um according to the national labs so they're also measuring i guess they've got a a pressure differential they're measuring across the coil greg is that accurate to say yes okay and then the temperature coming in and leaving um interesting and and i guess the airflow going across but that's also the pressure drop i guess that uh, and then something like chilled water, BTUs per gallon of chilled water. Um, yeah. It's not been unusual to see 30 to 50% improvements in that, according from, to some of the tab engineers that um, you know have, have been doing that work. And have you and done any side-by-side side comparisons on those parameters with traditional cleaning versus cleaning with the probiotic? Yeah, we have. And it's uh, it's been pretty impressive, apparently, for from your perspective, Greg. Absolutely. And how can people learn more about the product? Uh, contact Probably. Mr. Graham. Yeah. Yeah. Contact either one of us directly. Um, they can visit the um, the the Prime uh, Probiotic product that is is made by Z Bioscience, which Gary was going to be on the call today. Could have provided probably some much more eloquent answers to the questions, but the uh, zbioscience.com website, um, and they can contact Greg and myself uh, directly by phone or on the email addresses that could be provided. And we can have Cliff put those in the blog. Will do. All right. Wonderful. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much. Before we go, we always... Uh, Cliff, are you... Do you have any more? I'm done. I'm be- done. Before we go, we like to give our listeners or our, our guests, the last word. Is there anything we missed that you'd like to add, anything you'd like to add at all? Well, Joe, uh, as always, you know, I've known you for a long time. Always enjoy visiting with you. Uh, enjoyed being on your show. Appreciate the opportunity to get back on the show. And, uh, you know, the, we're in a very exciting industry. Um, it, it, nobody... Nobody can say this industry is not exciting because things change daily, and we see new things daily. And every project I walk into, after being in it so many years, I see something new, and it's it's exciting. And uh, you know, um, I love sharing it with you and and other people. We appreciate having you, Greg, and uh, I look forward. Hopefully, I'll see you soon. Uh, we'll be at the RIA conference next week. Okay. Um, uh, always look forward to seeing you and Cliff. Graham, any final thoughts? Yeah. Um, listen, I, first of all, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on the show and, and share some of this with you guys. And I love the questions. And, you know, uh, they were great questions and challenging. And I hope the answers were sufficient for the listeners. But the thing is, the only thing I'd mention is that I think we're entering a new era. 
uh, in terms of public health. You know, we hear of antibiotic resistance in the post-antibiotic era, as is being referred to by people like the World Health Organization, really means that cleaning of anything is going to be really important. Sanitizing the coils, keeping our cooling towers cleaning, keeping surfaces clean. And I think it's going to require that we probably look at how we clean and with what we clean in any environment differently compared to what we have. Because, you know, as the head of uh, the World Health Organization said, um, people are going to die um, in this post-antibiotic era. You know, dental implants, hip replacements, you know, quality of life improvement um, operations become more life-threatening. Um, people in, with, under chemotherapy for cancer become much, much more vulnerable when the antibiotics that are being protecting them don't work. So I think probiotic cleaners offer a alternative and new way of looking at cleaning that really warrants very serious consideration uh, across the board uh, from a public health perspective. And, you know, Graham, I want to add to that that you guys were great sports. We appreciate it. We try to ask tough questions because, you know, we, we get some – I mean, we've had several shows on this topic, um, the microbiome of the built environment. We've had, you know, some of the top researchers in the world discussing these issues, and, and there's a lot of uh, – there's a lot of controversy, you know, we'll have someone on that, that feels like we should be seeding the buildings with probiotics and then someone else will email me or call or come on the show and say, that's insane, it's crazy, and it's a lot of fun. But, um, you know, what's important, I think, is to get the information out to people, uh, let them know what's available out there, and then give them the information and let them make the decisions on how they're going to handle their facilities. Um, and, and you're right. This is a fascinating new world we're entering uh, with this whole microbiome thing and trying to figure out if we can use the good good bacteria to kill the bad bacteria and all that. And then we haven't even talked about the fungi uh, a whole lot during this show. But I want to uh, thank both of you for joining us, and I look forward to seeing both of you in person again sometime soon. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. All right. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Cliff. All right. This is Radio Joe Hughes saying thanks so much to this week's guest, Greg Long, and uh, Graham Marsh. Also, uh, Cliff, we'll be together next week. The Z-Man and I are headed to uh, Orlando. We're going to be at the RIA conference. And then uh, next Friday, we're going to do a a wrap-up of uh, the conference and what we learned at the conference, any new and exciting information that came out of it. I think Ken Larson and uh, the the Restoration Industries Global Watchdog, Pete Consigli, will be joining us. We may have a few other special guests as well. Anything you'd like to say before we go, Cliff? No, I'm good. Join us next week. That's, thanks, uh, for thanks for listening. Uh, most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. And, uh, John, you got to have faith at the controls. Well done. Uh, the Z-Man, as always, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back next Friday at noon for the next episode of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. All recording has been completed.